So uh, I want to talk a little bit about what I was doing this last week. So every, every year I get to go out for what they call Ministry Week, otherwise known as Father Heart of God Week, to our denomination's version of YWAM, right? So there's like a bunch of like 40 or 50 kids, not kids, young adults, and they arrange them into like teams of about five or six and assign them a, very, a country to go to for about a six-month outreach. So there's a three-month discipleship training portion and a six-month outreach portion. And so they'll go to countries like Burma, India, Nepal, uh, Tanzania, there's a, there's a USA team, I forget, there's a bunch of other teams. And uh, so I, but I come in, this is like week three of their training. So they've, they've gotten bonded, they've told each other their, their stories, they're living together, they're exercising, like the, they have a daily schedule that's really intense, like morning routine, get up, uh, mandated to be at breakfast at a certain time. They set aside a particular a fixed time for personal, like alone time with Jesus. Then they come together for a teaching till about noon, break for lunch, clean up after that, do uh, afternoon uh, outreach and then sometimes recreational activities and supper and then clean up from that. And then hall meetings and different. So every single day is totally scheduled, right? It's kind of like what I call Protestant monasticism. Like the deal with monasticism is you give up all your freedom to have a life of discipline and community and have total security. So theoretically, you have, you, you, oh, you're giving up everything. Well, not really, because you have total security. You have friends, you have a fixed schedule of worship, a steady diet of the presence of God, meaningful work with your hands. You don't have to wonder, what should I be doing with my time because you're under a structure of authority? Like, so there's just so many things about monasticism that's extremely beneficial to transform, transforming souls. Because most of us aren't disciplined enough to actually put ourselves in a lifestyle of rituals that actually then if you show up with your heart sincere, Jesus will meet, right? So I'm not saying we should all be monks, but I'm saying this is a cool, this kind of lifestyle is like what I call Protestant monasticism, where they don't actually do it lifelong, but the goal is that by doing it, practices will be formed and ideas and beliefs and experiences will be formed at this particular age that will last them the rest of their life. Most of what I'm doing, God put in me through my REACH experience. REACH is the name of the program. So they bring me in for Father Heart of God week and then a friend of mine teaches Monday. I teach Tuesday and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday, we do inner healing prayer all together in public. Meaning one chair, 50 people. I'm over here. You're there, Courtney's there, your team leader's there, and I sit with my notepad and I ask you questions, and you just like spill whatever needs, needs to come out. Then I, st- then I do a combination of sozo ministry without calling it that because I don't follow any rules, and prophetic ministry. And it is crazy, crazy. The very last session we did, and I can't say names because I have confidentiality, but the very last session we did at the end of the week was on Saturday afternoon. And I was really having a hard time reading this guy. He was giving me nothing. Like I always prophesy over them all. Oh, and prophecy was going on this week in a crazy, crazy way. Like there, if, there, if there was ever any doubt in my mind that that is a primary gift that I get to have fun using, it is gone after last week. Because like just boom, 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 50 people. And then they, and I say, does that, does that make any of that make sense to you? And they go, yes. And then they, anyway, just so freaking fun. Um, and so, but I always reserve that till the very end of the session. Because I'm trying really hard 
to, to, to use that time to let the Holy Spirit direct to what the issues are he wants to talk to them about. And um, it's, 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 it's kind of like inner healing prayer. It's kind of like sozo, but we don't know what we're doing. Like, I don't know how the heck I fell into that job because if it's here, I would almost always delegate it to Tammy and just say, I don't know how to do that. I'll just pray over people really hard. You know what I mean? No? Yes? Am I talking too fast? Are you guys okay tonight? So the very last uh, session, so we've like done 40 sessions already, and like it's Saturday afternoon. We've been doing this till 11 at night, from 9 in the morning till 11 at night with only breaks for like uh, lunch and dinner and then back at it again, right? And I'm first chair, and, and they're like, oh my word, Tim, oh my goodness, are you exhausted? And, and I was like, well, yeah, actually, <laughs> I'm exhausted because you're emoting that whole time. They're, like when somebody's telling you about the traumatic stuff that the Holy Spirit needs, wants to heal, you can't, Ah, you just cry with them. Okay, so this last person, I was, I was, we got stuck. Are there any lies I'm believing? He gets basically nothing. Uh, we hit a wall. When I hit a wall I, with Sozo, I usually flip out of my Sozo hat and into my prophetic hat. So like I said, I don't do Sozo. I don't even call it Sozo because if I did, I'd have to follow rules and stuff and I'm not about that. So I flip into prophetic ministry. I pray over him and then I back up again. And, and I say, what else do you guys have? Because I always refer to the other two over here. Do you, what do you got too? Because they're really, really on point. And uh, they're like, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh man, this last one is the hardest one yet because I'm just not feeling it. I, I had a word, but I'm not feeling his spirit. I'm not, able to, I'm not able to read much of depth on him. I know it's in there. He's just not giving it to me. And if they don't open their heart, you just can't do anything with it, Right? The one year, that's one of, one of the things the Lord said to me with this one, one guy. I could tell he was totally closed. And I was like, Lord, he's given me nothing. And the Lord's like, then you have to respect that. It's okay. So I had, you know what I mean? So I had to move on. So last dude, and he says, well, I said, are, are, are we done or should we just close in prayer? And he, and he says, well, maybe there is something. Maybe there is just a little something. And he proceeds to go into his nine-month-old sister getting run over by the car he was in when he was five. And it turned out he had a split personality from that. And the reason he was giving us nothing was because the emotional side of him was his, his personality was split when he was five as a protective mechanism. That's why I wasn't able to read him. And we did a shabar. That's what Tammy told me. I didn't know that's what it was. We reinte- Jesus reintegrated this, this person, like his per- parts of his personality. Like, Jesus, come into the scene. Where is he? And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm breaking. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm breaking. I'm just breaking, trying to figure out like, because I know where I, like, I know that the Lord's asking me to take him back to that scene. And I'm like, just, I'm just shaking and weeping going, I, I don't know if I can face this. And I'm asking him to face it. And so I said, I, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm approaching this one with fear and trembling, but like, we got to go back there. Can we go back there? And he's like, yeah, I'm there. And I said, I feel like you're going to see yourself like, like a little boy. And you're going to be outside yourself. I feel like you're going to see yourself like a separate person. And he's like, yep, I'm there. And I was like, okay, now invite Jesus into the scene and tell, tell us then what he's, what he's doing and what he's saying. And Boom, truth, just total truth. We're all weeping. He's just sitting calmly. We're all weeping, you know. 
And then, I, and then I was like, what do you want to say to the little boy? Oh my goodness, just, just, ah. I'm, what, I guess the reason I'm trying to say this is like, I feel like I've been doing undercover spy work for like, like MI6 or something. And like, we just like assassinated two horrible people and saved an entire village and like rescued all these little kids out of, you know what I mean? Out of like prostitution and then came home and I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. So I actually feel like what I'm saying, I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm like really thin ice because I do not want to violate confidentiality. But suffice to say, the stuff that Jesus did was just blow your mind crazy. Just crazy. And I was trying to talk to my mom on the way home. I was like, I would love to talk to my big sister about this because I feel like there are psychological, psychiatric principles to what the Holy Spirit is doing here that actually are transferable. Like, he's a genius. Just like when I studied Dan Moeller and then I read cognitive behavioral therapy, I was like, oh my word, Jesus knows cognitive behavioral therapy and Dan is using it, but he doesn't even know that it, that's what it's called. In other words, cognitive behavioral therapy says, as you believe, so you will be, right? Secular people discovered that the idea that truth makes you free. They don't know Jesus, but they stumbled onto some principles that Jesus invented. And I was just curious. And, I, and mom's like, no, your sister wouldn't know the first thing about the Holy Spirit. And the reason you're able to do this is because you're led by the Spirit. And, and I was like, yeah, I, I, I know I don't know what I'm doing. Thanks for pointing that out. Because that's what she's trying to, she's like, you don't, I'm like, because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just do the next thing that I'm led to do. I, I was reminded of what you say, like Brian, where you say, people think you know more than you know because you say what you're led to say. And so then they get the results of Jesus so then they assume that you know what you're doing when you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so that was me all week. And they were all like, Tim knows all this stuff. And I was like, let me make sure that at the end I share my brokenness and burdens and let y'all pray for me. And that was good because that really put me back on their level, <laughs> which rescues you, right, from being the, the guru that they all want to, you know, in India, like they would wash the feet of the guru and then drink the water. I don't need that. Neither does anyone else. But it was weird, right? Because they're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, this is amazing. And then, and then they're like, I want to go to your church. And I'm like, we're normal. Like, we're, we're normal. <laughs> but they imagine, because of the way Jesus is moving, that, like, that this is like, that the air is going to feel different here. And I'm like, we're, so, we're normal. We're so normal. But Jesus is extraordinary. And the Father is in Incredible. And I kept having this, this question on my heart, like, how can we bring, like, the only reason that that's happening there and it's not happening everywhere else is because people are willing to get in the chair. They're willing to sit in the chair and they're willing to be honest. They're willing to open their heart to Jesus with friends and take a risk that these people aren't going to judge me and view me different forever. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, really intense. That's right. Because one of the stories that I told, let's just pretend we've started now. Uh, <laughs> so now the icebreaker's over. There we go. Now we've started. One of the stories that I told has to do with layers of identity. Like when you, when you begin to know who you are, you start to get free. But there's layers of that faith setting you free. So for example, here's the parable of it is a man was convinced he was bird seed. So he was terrified to be outside because he was scared of all birds. Any kind of bird just scared the tar out of him because he believed he was bird seed. So he, he, he finally gets his identity right, right? He's like, I'm a man. <laughs> I'm not bird seed. Okay, I got this. Then on one day he shows up at his counselor's door and he's like in a complete panic. Total meltdown, like anxiety attack, 
hyperventilating, on the ground, heart palpitations, and I was going to say we've all been there, but I know that I've been there. I've been there. Anyway, you and I have been there. Heart palpitations. Think you're having a heart attack. Okay. He shows up at his counselor and he's like, the guy's like, what happened? He's like, my neighbor's got chickens. And he goes, but you know you're not birdseed. And he goes, I know I'm not birdseed, but do the chickens know? So there's like layers of freedom where like you come into this unhealthy family system where you have learned how to relate to your mom and your dad and your siblings from some role that you picked up to like fit into this family system and you've taken on an identity that's not who you are and now you're in Christ and you're starting to realize who you really are and you're starting to get free but then you're terrified to get around that system because you know who you are but they don't know who you are. You get it? Or... (laughs) or your spouse, or your kids, or your coworkers, or your friends, or your community. It's part of the reason that I don't spend much time posting things on Facebook anymore. It's not because I don't think other people should. It's because the chickens definitely don't know that I'm not seed. <laughs> they definitely don't. And I'm just, not in the mood. I'm just not in the mood to have people pecking at me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm all right with it not being around. So... <laughs> So I had a great week, and I don't know what to do with it. I'm heartbroken, too, is the other thing. Uh, going out there, I, like going out there was the weeping that came out of me during worship, because I realized that here I'm leading worship so much of the time now. And so like, my mind is engaged in, in a different level of like, maintaining a certain, like I can't just break down and weep and, and, and lead worship very, I, mean, I, I probably can, I probably can, but I haven't given myself permission to. But out there, uh, when we would worship, I would just get on my knees and moan, rock back and forth and moan. Because I realized that my heart is totally broken and I believe that, that I need God and I'm, and I'm praying that God will take this narrative of my life and make it right. Like if I died today, God would be good and I would go to heaven, but I'd be in heaven being like, make it right. It's still not right, make it right. You need to redeem this narrative arc of my life. You need to vindicate, vindicate the integrity of the relationship and the obedience that I've had before you. This, in other words, if I died today, I would die like Abraham without his land. And you can do that faithfully, but you're in heaven still praying that it happens at least in your kids' lives or your, or your grandkids' lives. Does that make sense? And this is the stage that I'm at. I'm at this place of saying, God, the door of my heart is open to you. I'm not, pull, I'm not holding back from you. I'm inviting you to plant dreams in my heart again. I'm inviting you to make me open to love people well, but God, this is wrong and I'm grieving and I'm not okay and I won't pretend I am. And don't, don't try to encourage me. Let me grieve. You can encourage me by saying I believe in you. You can encourage me by saying I love God. You can encourage me by saying I'm, go, I'm all in with this kingdom thing. I'm gonna give my life to Jesus, but don't try to, don't try to talk me out of grief. I'm gonna walk through this grief till this narrative is fixed. There are some promises that I'm supposed to camp on and fight for and not be okay with them not fulfilled. And I will have my promises fulfilled. And so that's just every time we would go to worship, I would get on my knees and weep and rock back and forth and just groan. And I was in a safe environment where they don't know what I'm crying about. Then I get up off the floor and off the mess and <laughs> there you go. You're the honorary butch of the evening award goes to you. Actually, if you snatch it out of thin air with your bare hand, then you, then you are butch. 
Willard Kaufman. It's not an elders meeting until he snatches a fly out of thin air. I'm going to put this guy on the board since he's who we're talking about right now. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling Abraham yet? Tonight we're talking about faith, promise, grace, law, works, flesh, that sort of thing. The basics. The gospel. Are we going to talk about Jesus? Somebody needs to catch up Mike and Carolyn on, on that story. You weren't here for that, right? Awesome. Can I tell it again, guys? I just love it so much. I said there's layers of faith getting you free. When you start to get free, you start to believe there's a level of freedom. But then there's deeper levels of freedom where you discover that you don't actually believe it all the way yet. And so this man, uh, he was totally anxious. He was terrified of all birds because he believed he was birdseed. You know, turkeys, chickens, sparrows, robins, everything scared this guy because he believed he was birdseed. So one day, one day after like tons of counseling, he had arrived at this place where he was like, I can go outside and I'm okay. But then he showed up at his counselor's office in a complete panic and uh, total panic and like hyperventilating and anxiety attack, thinking he's having a heart attack. He's just freaking out. And the counselor says, what is wrong with you? And he says, my next door neighbor's just got chickens. And he goes, okay, but that shouldn't scare you. You know you're not seed. Now, you guys can all say it with me. I know I'm not seed, but do the chickens know? There's layers of freedom that we find. You start to find who you are in Christ, and you're not who you were in your family system. You're not who you were in your hometown. You're not who you were in relationship to your old sins or whatever the issue is. But then it's like you start to find freedom, and then Christmas vacation for me. Am I going to go back into that role I played when I was 16 in this family system? Am I going to go back into like not being good enough for dad and like trying to find a way to not step on Melody's toes, but also like protect Lynette? Like all, am I going to go back to being that kid or am I going to stand with my shoulders back totally comfortable with nothing to prove because I know who I really am? So I'm unintimidated or at least uncontrolled by the intimidation. Maybe I won't ever be unintimidated, but I can at least be uncontrolled by the intimidation, right? You're a people pleaser not if you feel the fear. You're a people pleaser if the fear controls your choices. And people pleasing will never get you to this guy's life. We, we should get into it. If you have Bibles, let's make it legal. God bless this time. Amen. They're not legal. Just like before you eat, you got to pray. And you're asking the kids, like, why do we pray before we eat? And they're like, um. Remember how Errol Eberly's like, I don't even know. Because in Africa, we eat to kill the bacteria. Why do we pray? We pray to kill the bacteria. Why do we pray in America? Oh, gratitude. That's right. <laughs> Remember how he says this? Kill it. God, kill it. Kill it, kill it. I think it's dead. Okay. He's <laughs> like. I, I never thought about pre-meal prayer the same after hearing him say that. I was always looking at it like, it looks dead already. Oh, the bacteria. <laughs> uh, here's some more Ron Swanson for you. Give a man a fish. Feed him for a day. Don't teach a man to fish. He's a grown man. Fishing's not that hard. <laughs> okay, he goes to the Whole Foods store. And he says, I come here for the same reason some people go to the zoo. 
look at that thing. Nature is amazing. And it's a dude with dreadlocks filling a bag full of like hemp seeds. <laughs> okay. If you have Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians. I don't know why I'm having you go there because if I know me, I'm going to jump all over the place so much that you'll be disoriented. But I would like you to write down, at least in your notes, Galatians, Romans, Colossians. Oh, by the way, this is going to be Romans 4. I took a class in college called Galatians and Romans. And when I was finished writing my thesis paper about the class and I read it to my wife, she was like this. Tim, you have to preach this. This is amazing. And I was like, what? Because the content of Paul's letter, the internal logic of the letter, gives you freedom. You know how some people, like, they come into an understand, a new understanding of God through experiences? And other people are primarily sort of brain-centered. Like, Tammy's more brain-centered. I'm more experience-centered, I think. I'm not sure. But other people will come into a new experience of God through understanding. And something about just studying the content, the historical, like what was going on in, the ta- in, in Galatia and what was going on in Rome that Paul was writing into and how does the logic of his basic arrangement of thoughts function and what was the application point of it. Something about studying that in great detail to where I had to then explain it. Just telling my wife, this is, what it, this is who it was written to, this is what was going on, this is what he's saying, and here's how it lands on us today, made her go, holy crap, that's revival in a nutshell. Like that, if we could get that, we would all fall in love with Jesus. He would look so much better to us. We would, we would sleep so much better at night. We, so much legalism would just fall off of us without us having to try if we just comprehended the covenant we're in, the full reality of what Jesus accomplished for us. So if we could start with, with this one. Galatians is Paul so angry that he just wrote a whole book of the Bible in one fit of rage. That's what it is. Yeah. Did you know the birthplace of so much good theology is an argument? Like here's a word for you, another word. This is polemical, polemical theology. In other words, Paul is super pissed off because some people are doing some really annoying crap that's going to hurt people that he loves. He's led these folks to Jesus. He's led these, these, these Gentiles to Jesus. He's led these Gentiles to Jesus. And, and okay, that, now I have to back up. He starts his book out. I'll just read it. Listen to the word of the Lord. This letter is from Paul, an apostle, not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God, the Father who raised Jesus. First sentence, he's already pissed off. He's got a chip on his shoulder. First sentence. He's not even started yet, and he has to specify, ain't nobody sent me but God. I don't get my authority from humans. I don't speak from humans. I didn't get my gospel from humans. You better listen to me, and I didn't learn from any fools. I learned from Jesus himself. Why are you so mad, Paul? Just relax, right? There's some personalities that Paul would just rub so wrong. He's low neurotic, meaning he doesn't experience tons of negative emotion. He can, he can thrive in a stressful environment. He's the only person on that ship that, at sea that's lost, that's calm. He's low neuroticism. Low, he, he's not me. He's not a... Okay, Amber, can I pick on you too? You and I are feelers. You're more feeler than me. Paul's not that way. Paul, Paul's happy in the midst of crap, and he doesn't care what you think about him. 
Before he ever meets Jesus, he's this way. He's a jerk or a lawyer or a stockbroker or an investor. He can do any job that requires you to be the mean person who takes a lot of criticism and doesn't back down because of his personality profile. So when God needs someone to bring the gospel against the grain of how his fledgling Jewish church will want to bring the gospel, he picks a man whose personality enables him to stand that test. Isn't that interesting? He, ha- he picks, a, picks a, a, probably a, a kid who, he was a faithful Jew, but if he'd have decided not to be, he'd have got a lot of beatings but still never obeyed because he's Paul. But because he decided to obey, he's a better Jew than you are. And he's not afraid to tell you he's a better Jew than you are. Personality-wise, he's a scrappy dude. Now, that's weird, right? Like you would think, well, that can't be godly. Well, apparently godliness is not identical to some sort of personality profile. But we often think of it as that way. We often think of somebody who has a more tender personality as being more capable of loving well. But there are some circumstances in which loving well means standing up to the bullies and calling someone full of crap in public like he's about to do to Peter in public. Peter! Now, I don't know, some of us would just be freaking out because it's Peter and it's conflict and it's public. But he doesn't shrink from this kind of stuff. Anyway, Scrappy Paul. Of course, the thing that makes me love him is the thing that makes me hate him. Like, I, I love him and I hate him at the same time. And I say hate loosely there. I don't actually hate him. Like, I'm going to hell now because I feel that way about Paul. I'm talking about, like, there's some stuff about Paul that irritates me. Like, his attitude towards Mark. I wish Paul was more like Barnabas. But then again, if he was more like Barnabas, right? But I'd rather be like Barnabas. Paul's in heaven saying, chill a little bit on earth there, bro. I got it. Figured out now, okay? Yes. Oh, come on. Help me out, God. David Hogan. David Hogan. He, like, punched that preacher in the face who led his wife into the baptism of the Spirit. Punched him in the face. <laughs> he whooped him but then God arrested him and like he couldn't walk and stuff oh that's awesome okay but totally he's still that way mm-hmm. he's still that way that's why he has 400 resurrections from the dead like mm-hmm. not he didn't do them but Jesus did it but his obedience was involved okay let me just skip down I am shocked verse 6 I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, you are following a different way, a different way, a different way. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And then he goes nuts. <laughs> Let God's curse fall on Anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Like, this is literally Paul saying, God damn you. If you preach, if I preach, if an angel preaches a different gospel than the one I delivered to you. And they, you know what happened? Some Jewish people, other Jews came later and taught Old Testament commands. These Galatians, I'm going to read this letter and go, Whoa. We read the book. It talked about Genesis 17, circumcision. We read the book. talked about Leviticus. All these foods we're not supposed to eat. We read the book. talking about Genesis 1 and 2. Talking about Sabbath observance. That's all they gave us. 
All they told us is that we ought to do this old, the, the eternal commands. I mean, when God gave Abraham the command of circumcision, he said it was an eternal covenant, not a temporary one. We're just, you gave us this Bible, Paul. You're the one who gave us this Bible. You're the one brought us to faith in Yahweh. You're the one who told us we're included in this Old Testament covenant with Jacob and Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David and all these folks. Why are you talking about like us following after false gospels? All we're doing is just building on what you gave us. Can't you see him saying that? And so here comes these, these other people who say, well, Paul didn't give you the whole story. You're missing some stuff. He gave you a good start. He talked about Messiah Jesus, but there's this whole swath of stuff besides Messiah Jesus. And Paul says, here's the problem. When you have Jesus plus, whenever you have Jesus, they're not bothering me. Whenever you have Jesus plus something, you end up with, with something other than Jesus. You end up with something less than Jesus. You end up with something less. And Paul's so sure of this. You know, how would he know this, guys? How would Paul be such an expert in how bankrupt you can be being the most faithful Jew? Exactly. So he takes the time to tell them his story all over again. Because he needs them to understand that he knows what he's talking about when he says that Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you want. In fact, you'll have less. It's not the issue of, well, the bar of salvation is low. All you need is Jesus. But the bar of pleasing the Lord is really high and you need a lot more than just Jesus. He says, actually, that's bullcrap. If you're rooted in Jesus, you're going to bear the fruit of Jesus, which is Jesus himself living through you. And if you're rooted in law, you're going to be in the flesh and you're going to bear all kinds of bad fruit. It's not about adding stuff that was missing. It's about actually severing the life-giving root. He, he, he gets this so clearly in a way that most people wouldn't have gotten it because of his history. So he says, let them all be cursed if they preach a different gospel. And then he says in verse 10, I just love this so much. Galatians 1.10 and Romans. Somebody get me Romans 2.29. This is so interesting to me. I'm probably going to have to skip around and I can't go through this whole book tonight because I want to hit some other things from Romans and Colossians too and then probably just tell some stories and maybe yell. Yeah, Romans 2.29. You can read context too. Can you say that last sentence just one more time? And a person with a changed heart... That's amazing right there. What he's going to argue is these folks came in and told you that to be accepted by God, you have to do all this extra stuff. And he's going to argue in Galatians 3, he's going to say, let me just learn one thing from you. I came, I presented Jesus crucified for your sins to cover them, to cleanse them, to take them away. Jesus raised so that you'd be raised to newness of life. Jesus Jesus seated at the right hand of God so that you are seated in heavenly places with him. Jesus as the beloved so that you're the beloved. You get all his A's. He gets all your F's. It's the sweetest exchange. You get in on his covenant. It's not your faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness. It's not your obedience. It's his obedience. It's not your momentum. It's his momentum. It's not your prayer life. It's his prayer life. It's not your favor with God. It's his favor with God. (laughs) Boom. You said, I want that. 
You, you t- you took, your heart took a step forward and whoom, Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit came, filled you with divine love. You knew your prayer was answered. You knew you were accepted. And in that moment, you became the children of God. It's a fact. Now, if you started there, why would you go backwards instead of now just letting Jesus live this new life through you now that he's in you? You want to go back to you living this life for him? That's bankrupt. That's foolishness. That's going from, that's, that's you started with, with what's real, what's, with what's God living through you, and now you want to go back to you and the weakness of your, of your flesh? Just purely, merely human? Why would you do that? And he says, let me tell you why Peter was able to be seduced. He says this in Galatians 2. Peter was able to be seduced before, he says, Peter came up to see what good work we were doing in Antioch. If I'm getting my details straight, I might be getting this from the book of, of Acts because I was reading Acts a little bit today and I can't keep all my references straight. So Peter comes to check out these conversions of these Gentiles and, and he says, until certain people came from James, Peter used to fellowship with Gentiles. Now for a Jew to sit and eat with Gentiles who eat unclean foods and touch unclean things would never have been tolerated. As you know, like from from the book of Acts where Peter has Jesus give him the vision of the sheet and get up Peter, kill and eat. And he says, never Lord, I've never touched anything unclean or eaten anything unclean. (laughs) No Lord. The oxymoronic, no Lord. (laughs) But until certain people came from, Peter, from James, Peter used to hang out with Gentiles, thus affirming that Jesus is enough. God accepts you, so I'll accept you. God accepts you without making you culturally Jewish. You can be culturally Gentile, but have faith in Jesus. Boom, Holy Spirit makes you a new person and puts love on the inside because at the end of the day, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters at all, neither baptism. Not, not, you don't have to believe like the people... See, I'm telling you right now, like we in the modern church, we do this by doctrinal righteousness. If you don't believe like me, if you don't behave like me, if you don't vote like me, if you don't homeschool like me, or whatever the issue is, or it could be the opposite. It could be public school like me. Oh, you poor homeschoolers. If you're not Amish like me, if you're not Greek Orthodox, if you don't have communion and have these traditions and these patriarchs like me, I just have some friends that, one of my close friends, I just found this out from Jason Showalter this last week, one of my close friends, they become Syrian Antiochian Orthodox. And I asked this question, I said, are they Orthodox because it's beautiful or are they Orthodox because it's the right way? Get the difference? Every denomination has, has a beautiful vision of God that's driving it somewhere down, deep down, even if it's gotten ugly over the years. <laughs> But every denomination has Jesus, has a real grasp on the real Jesus and is really saved. They all do. Every one of us does. And if you can discern the spirit in them, you can gain some benefit from them. Is he, is he orthodox because he goes, oh, they have a real treasure to get here? Or is he orthodox because it's the right way? The right way meaning if you aren't this, you're invalid. And Carmen said, they're kind of, of the belief that it's the right way which is really unfortunate. It shows that there was insecurity in them. Insecurity in them, big, big time, which makes sense, but I'm not going to psychoanalyze. Why would someone be drawn to a denomination that claims to be the right way? Because they don't trust their relationship with Jesus to be enough. So they have to go someplace that 
says, oh, well, we are the right way. We have, we, have an uns, we, have a, we have a ceaseless, unbroken path all the way back to Jesus. Our bishop was ordained by a bishop who was ordained by a bishop who was ordained by a blah, 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 who was ordained by Jesus. It's the ceaseless chain of the laying on of hands all the way that the Catholic Church claims as well, which means nothing to me because I have apostolic authority. Because I have Jesus. He's, alive. He's not dead. Which is why this book is like, which is why I can interpret this book. Because he's alive. I have the author. If the author died and went away, I wouldn't have much confidence in my interpretation. I'm not claiming that all my interpretations are right, but I can, I can please the Lord. I'm going to get a bunch of stuff wrong, but I can know God. Right? But this thing of like, oh my goodness. So certain people came from James to check out these Gentiles and fix Paul's mistake. Make them more biblical. And Paul just about has an aneurysm. He says in Galatians, I wish, since they're so zealous to remove skin from the genitalia, I wish they'd just go whole hog and cut the entire situation off. He calls them dogs. And there's some, like I'm telling you, like the, the Bible cusses. I'm not saying we should. I'm just letting you know. What he said was mean. I don't want to ever hear a woman called a bitch. But Paul just did something very much like that. You dogs. You mutilators of the... Why? Why Why is he so hot? Because if you get Jesus plus something, you get less than Jesus. And if you get less than Jesus, you don't have good news. You don't have good news. You have endless striving, hoping to be enough, and it never is. You have straining in the weakness of the flesh, which later on in in the book of Romans, Paul will clarify that if you get under law, you're in the weakness of the flesh, the power of the Spirit lifts, and now you're a slave to sin. I say it all the time. Rebellion and religion are two sides of the same coin. And the gospel is something else entirely. Because both rebellion and religion are in the flesh. And the gospel places us firmly in direct face-to-face access with God where he himself lives through us. There is no separation. Oh, it was so good last week. I got to say that over some people. This one gal. You don't need to hear her issues, but I just got to like proclaim over her. There is no separation. You're not apart. You're not away from him. And I got, to, I got to do some Bill Vanderbush preaching at her. I said, girl, you're forgiven and it ain't your fault. You're in Christ and it ain't your fault. You wake up in the morning with the hunger for the Lord and it ain't your fault and you're never gonna fall away. You're never gonna fall away. You don't even need to be afraid of falling away. In fact, Jesus is so incredibly sticky and he's in such pursuit of you that theologians actually argue, they argue at great length over whether it's even possible to fall away. Come on. I'm not even a Calvinist, and I sleep at night like a Calvinist. He's going to finish what he started in me. I didn't save me. I didn't choose me. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose y'all. You wouldn't choose me. Come on, you're crazy. I chose you. Choose me? (laughs) Did you see you? You know what you chose. You chose that. <laughs> you think you're just smart all of a sudden? You say, I'll choose Jesus. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. You take credit for your salvation, you're an idiot. 
You chose him because your heart was being drawn. I found, it's, it's exactly right. I found Jesus. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. He found you. That's like taking credit for putting your hand out and being pulled out of a burning building by, you know, I did them. I reached out. Did you see that? I reached out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast forward. Is it about eight? I got five minutes? Sweet. Five more minutes on Galatians. So I was going to try to say on this. This right here, Paul says in many places, when he started preaching Jesus, it takes the legs out of human boasting and it'll piss off religious people. Because if Jesus gets all the credit and, it's, and I don't even get credit for my obedience, because why? It's him living through me. Listen, if you and I had a sinless day, we'd be the last to notice. And even if we did notice, all we would want to do is be really grateful because it was him living it through us anyway. The last thing you're going to do is get proud when you're under grace. Not because there's a law that says don't be proud, but because the truth of how this operates precludes pride. Whereas their thing is, I did this and I did this and I've done this and I did this. So if you look at Philippians 3, where Paul's referring back to his pre-Jesus, tribe of Benjamin, regards the law faultless, all the stuff. He's like, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. I have more reasons to boast than anyone, but now I consider all that. One big elongated defecation. That's just like the biggest soft serve ice cream of feces. Next to the beauty, to the worth, to the glory, to the treasure of knowing Jesus. Like, so what other people are proud of, he's horrified that will capture his, he's like, "Uh uh-uh. You're not going to lure me back into that because it's death. I went down that road. I became a hateful murderer. The more serious I got about the Bible, I threw, I, dude, this is what he says in Galatians. I, I, I got, sp- I, listen, how, listen how hateful religion made me, he says. Self-righteousness made me. Law-keeping made me. I thought it was my job to make sure everyone kept the law and I was convinced that these Jesus followers were the enemies of God. So I took it upon myself to get special permission from the authorities to track them down, arrest them and drag them off. And then I met Jesus on the road. Me who thought I saw, blinded by the the brilliant light and a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Not my people. You're all your devotion? The God you've been praying to? The God you've tried your whole life to honor and please and serve? This is the God that self-righteousness has, has, has deceived you into actually fighting against. It's wild. So God makes him physically blind to match his spiritual blindness. And he doesn't eat or drink for three days. And he waits in a house, fasting and praying. Now that is lost. He was already lost, but for three days he got to know it. His whole life he thought he was already, he thought he was a, a wise teacher. He thought he was a missionary. He thought he was, a, he was confident of himself. 
And now he gets to spend the rest of his life not being confident of himself. Now he gets to spend the rest of his life speaking about the bankruptcy of dependence on self and the wisdom of being like Abraham and putting your faith in God. He goes back to the scripture to rethink after Ananias comes and Ananias is like, not that guy, Lord, that guy's an idiot. And Jesus says, chill. Let me show you how much he's gonna have to suffer. His road isn't gonna be exactly easy. So if you want him to suffer, go lay hands on him, get him baptized in the Holy Ghost. He's gonna suffer. And he does. Scales fall from Paul's eyes and he disappears. Well, first he goes and starts preaching like a wild man. In the synagogues, instantly arguing, Jesus is the Christ. And it says his preaching became more and more powerful until he became a problem in the church. Like basically said, I don't know if we can handle you being in town. Remember the time that some people took a vow not to eat or drink till he died, till they killed him? Dude, you're doing something right when that happens. I mean, the day I got called an antichrist, I thought I was doing something right. But I ain't got people called, I, haven't, I didn't have people fasting and saying, I ain't gonna touch food or drink till I kill him. That's a whole new level of faithfulness. That's, that's kind of like, if life's a video game, that's like leveled up, achievement unlocked, 9,000 points, just jingle above your head. Do you know what I mean? Love that stuff. Is it time? Let's take a break. That, that wasn't a letter that was written in a moment of like drinking coffee and feeling inspired. Right. That, that was a letter written with your eyes bur- burning and your forehead kind of aching and you're like too busy to shower because you can't be bothered to eat and remember stupid stuff like showering and eating. So you're fixated on this and you've got to get this. Yeah. Hey, hey, come here. Want to see what large letters I write as I'm writing with my... I'm blind and I came and see the page and I'm going to write you a freaking letter. See what large letters I use as I write with you with my own hand. But he went on and on. He said he wasn't a powerful preacher, but he wouldn't stop preaching. Like, that's interesting too. That kid fell out the window dead. Well, he didn't fall out dead. He got dead when he hit the ground. I'm not scared of heights. I'm scared of the ground. Um... Where else do we want to go here? Um, <laughs> let me just r- write some words on the board that I put on this piece of paper. Law, flesh, sin, death, fear, self, weakness, grace, spirit, righteousness, life, love, Jesus, power. I'm just syncing ideas together so we begin to associate them correctly. Um, <laughs> this is why it's such a freaking big deal for Paul. This is why it's such a big deal for Paul to root us in grace, root us in Jesus, really. And so I kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, Galatians, or Galatians, Romans. So now we're kind of moving back and forth to other books. Try to leave Galatians mostly behind now. Okay, so there's this one phrase in Romans 3.22, and I wish I had my Greek New Testament with me. Somebody with a phone, just load the Greek for me. Romans 3.22, interlinear. That way I can refer to the actual Greek because the Greek doesn't render how it is in English. Because this is a critical, a critical truth that if you comprehend the argument, uh, I think you'll see things a little differently. Romans 3.22. See what your translators did there? You said by placing our faith in Jesus, this one. But the Greek, this is a genitive. This, th- this is a genitive. And that's a genitive, which means it should be rendered like this. 
the faithfulness of Jesus. In other words, that's a very clear verse that's expressing what Paul thinks is the gospel everywhere else. That we are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus. We're not saved. In other words, your faith in Jesus is not a work you perform that makes you right with God. Rather, your faith is just your yes to the faithfulness of Jesus to God on your behalf. It's the big deal of being involved in a covenant which, in which Jesus did all the faithfulness and now you get to live from the victory rather than for the victory. It's, it's like when we have our Amish friends who have a funeral and they hope the person was good enough. They hope that the person's Amish baptism and Amish community involvement was enough to make God say on judgment day, well done, you may enter. That's not hope. That's not, that's not faith in Christ. That's not the gospel. That's actually something else entirely. This says, dia through, pisteos, faith, Jesus, Jesus. But the way this is declined is genitive. This is genitive and this is genitive, which means they're both connected to each other. And it's a genitive of, of possession, which means we're talking about the faith or faithfulness of Jesus. Well, we put, what's interesting is the verse says, we're all saved through the faithfulness of Jesus, everyone who believes. And so what I'm bringing up this verse to say there's a debate, there's a debate among New Testament scholars about how we should render this verse in English. And my, my, I'm throwing in my, my hat and saying, hey, look, this is clearly a genitive. So to render it, faith in Jesus is, is wrong. But more importantly, I think this verse opens our eyes to some to the way Paul thinks everywhere in all his letters. I'm saying that our faith is just our yes to entering into what he accomplished in his faithfulness to God. So all like so for example, this is this is the deal is when when Paul goes through Romans 5 and he talks about Adam as representative of humanity. So his unfaithfulness plunged all humanity into sin. And now Christ, as the last, not the second, the last, there's not going to be another one that we need, the last Adam, his faithfulness to God plunged humanity into righteousness. Get it? Like, we were in the old man. We were in Adam when we were under law. But now we're no longer in Adam, we're in Christ. The unfaithfulness of Adam made us sinners. The faithfulness of Jesus makes us righteous, which means that even your obedience is a fruit of grace in your life. Not, it's not you're saved by grace, so that just means you don't have to obey and, and God's not judging you. Well, no, God's not judging you. But, it, but it, grace is the state in which the life of Christ begins to bubble up and out of you. And maybe you start the journey with 90% flesh and 10% Jesus in terms of how you're led through your day. If you grow in Christ, you're saved the whole time, but if you really grow hungrily and well, by the end of your life, you might be 90% led by the Spirit and 10% uh, in the silliness and foolishness of the flesh. By the way, you don't, don't feel bound to that. If you want to be sinless, that's fine. Even your obedience is a gift. 
right? Like Paul, in, in the very first of Romans, he says um, that he's been called by God to preach the obedience of faith or the obedience that comes from faith. So some people treat works as though works are bad. No, the works of the flesh are bad. The works of the spirit are just Jesus living his life through us. And those are good. But we don't do anything to earn because grace is not about earning. It's never about earning. Right? It's about abiding. The whole thing comes back to relationship. And see, this is why, like, you can really summarize this, this gospel is about connection. We're saved by what? Connection to Jesus. Now, who, who made the connection? Now, we have a part in it. Our yes. And so we have a faith. We, we, we said our, we, our faith matters. We were all, he died for all of the sins of the whole world. Hell's filled with forgiven sinners. Our faith does matter. Faith is like a lightning rod. And grace is the lightning. Nikola Tesla was trying to invent wireless power and the power companies didn't want to see that done. Well, Jesus already created wireless power. It's called the grace of the Holy Spirit. And all you have to do is tune your frequency right. And you have wireless power. You can walk as he did. That's how he walked. Jesus lived by faith. He walked by faith. Jesus lived by grace. Jesus didn't live under law. He lived under grace. Jesus didn't live under Moses, although he fulfilled that. He lived like he was back in Genesis 2. He didn't have sin messing with him. He wasn't trying to find his way back to the Father. He just walked in the cool of the day and grace empowered. I'm not trying to say he didn't fulfill the law. He did. I'm trying to say he walked by grace. Well, but he doesn't need grace. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. If you think Jesus didn't need grace because he wasn't a sinner, then you don't understand grace yet. Why did he pray? Why did he trust? Why did he cry? He was tempted. See, he was tempted and he yielded to the grace that was available to withstand the temptation. He walked by the Spirit. Listen, if he was tempted, that means he wanted to sin. That means it appealed to him. It's not, a, if it's not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm trying not to mess with your Christology too bad here, but Jesus never sinned. But God the Father is not tempted by sin. Jesus in the weakness of the flesh was in a position where he could not be fully human and avoid the, the, the temptation. And so how did he obey? Same way you and I can. And that's why he's the pioneer. He's the author and perfecter. No one's, no one's done it like he did. He's, he's what it looks like to be a human. He's what it looks like to live your life yielded and trusting the Father and saying your yes and, and, and living by the Spirit. To say life by the Spirit is another way of saying life by grace. The power of God and the grace of God are the same. But where does the power of God flow? Where does it flow? It flows, to the weak. it flows to the broken. It flows to the weak. It flows to the, bless you. You should let that out or it's going to pop your nose. <laughs> I was reading Isaiah 61 and Luke 4 the other day and I was just so intrigued. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. 
That's grace. Grace is always about establishing God's will. For the Lord has anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to who? The poor. To do what? And heal blind eyes and release to the, and set captives free. It's the weak, it's the poor, it's the blind, it's the broken, it's the captive, it's the prisoner. That draws him. It's the, it's the very things that none of us want to be that the, that the grace is like directed to. Something about life out of whack makes God want to come. So Jesus, who wasn't a sinner, is drawn to sinners. Where grace is drawn to where life is out of whack because, because God has this great big heart of passion to set things right. As he, like he, he created everything with intention and purpose. And when to see his most precious part of his creation, people, his most precious part of creation, totally jacked up and broken and lost and hurting and destroyed, he doesn't stand idly by. And if he finds anybody willing, if he finds any willing vessels who say, I want more of you, God, and the spirit comes, the spirit compels them. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me for what? Great church services. Nope. No, 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 no. In fact, there's only a real short shelf life on that before God gets so bored he quits coming. If the church does not then flow with the spirit to the low points. It's just not, it's not for the faint of heart. We say, oh, we want, we want your fire, God. We want your fire. He wants our fire too, but he wants it to flow to bring healing to the, to the lowest points of the people in our city, in our family, in our home, in our own home, in our own marriage, in our own family, but our neighbors too. The other day, last night, oh, the same dude who came out and was cussing me out. I'm pretty sure he has a pretty broken relationship with his girlfriend. I saw him chasing after her and he sped off, she sped off in her car down our little 25 mile an hour road. And he's yelling, going after her and yelling at her. And come on, hey, you know. And um, so there's a car parked out. Car, what? Yeah, the guy who wanted to beat me up. Uh, car parked out in what? No. This lady was parked out in front of our house in a little white um, I don't know what kind of car. It was a small white car. And she got her seat rolled back and her hands were gesticulating wildly, but she's not going anywhere. My wife, I see my wife go over and start looking in the window and like talking to this person. And I was like praying and just for protection because I don't know what's going on. And she comes in. I said, what's going on out there? Oh, she's all upset, fighting with her boyfriend. And, and um, I said, oh, no. Yeah, I think I know who it is. I think that's the car that I saw speed off the other day. And I think it's, she's like, well, yeah, she said, she told me she lives right around the road, right around the corner from us. And, and I just came home from all this inner healing stuff. And I'm like, I, this thing rose up in me that was like, you need to leave this man. If this man puts his hands on you, if this man yells at you, if this man treats you with any kind of form of disrespect, 
Like, you, you should not tolerate that form of that kind of mistreatment. Like, that man, you should love him enough. You should love yourself enough first, but, like, love him enough to not tolerate that kind of behavior so that he can realize what it feels like to, to like, go, oh, my word, there are actually consequences to my actions, and I can't just manipulate and control people and get away with it. That's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Of course, he'd sabotage that. And, but anyway, she didn't want to be talked to, but we were trying to figure out, like, what do we do? I'm praying, and I'm going, okay, you know, what do we do? And so... Carrie, then she writes a note on a piece of paper and comes out. And, but she's minding her distance because this woman's volatile in the car, screaming on the phone and everything, right? <laughs> Would you like to please come eat supper with us? And I was going, please come eat supper with us. Please come eat supper with us. Man, I just came home from a week of inner healing stuff and I'm like, I'm like ready. <laughs> like I have faith for this. You know what I mean? Just sit on my couch. It'll be sneaky. I won't be rude. I won't be weird. But like, but like come on, just let me... Just, just let me get you in touch with some love because this is a woman who needs real love. Do you know what I mean? And it's a man who I'd like to, and then also pray for him. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's the stuff that I'm like, bet off in a huff, like, <clears throat> right after that, right? I think Carrie scared her off. Oh, that story's not done. Maybe he'll kick me in the face before it's all over, but I do, I do run right past the house I'm intentional not to avoid the place where he was cussing at me and yelling at me. I'm intentional to run right past that same spot. This is my freaking town. The other day I was uh, taking a picture of some dude's old truck down at the tennis courts because I took a jog and I was like, oh man, this truck's amazing. I could show you pictures, but I'm not going to do it right now. I got into a conversation with them and they're talking about how bad Seaford is. And I said, I agree. I think the solution to that is for some people to move into the city and love the people and, and bring hope. Bring dignity back, like bring kindness into the city, bring truth back. Like that's, that's, he's like, I said, I live right down there. And he's like, oh my word, I feel concerned for your kids. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Each one of my children has had their bicycle stolen several times each. And that makes me sad. Actually, one time I ran after a dude who stole one of the kids, like thump, 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 just one of them big balloon bouncy things. You just kind of put, (laughs) reached into, over my fence and grabbed it. And then was walking down the road. Thump, 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 thump. I took off. I took off running. I was like, hey! That's my kids! And he's like... <laughs> no, I, I actually think, man, there's, there's something about like prophetic justice and setting things right. And that somebody was struggling with the anger of God in the counseling seat this week. And I was, because they don't allow themselves to express anger because their dad was an angry, unhealthy, angry, whatever. And they're like... I just don't, I just choose not to believe that, that God has any anger because I'm like, ah, because my dad. And I'm like, that makes sense. But the secret of God's anger is concern. The, the, the only thing motivating God's anger is love. Period. Now, that's not the only thing driving human anger. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on besides love. But God does have anger and a lot of it. And it's really healthy, really good. I'm glad he has it. Any world like ours that wouldn't tick off some divine being, that's just revealing that this divine being doesn't care about people. You want to see little kids raped and not get mad about it? I don't think so. That ain't right. But human anger, not so good. Can we switch books? On your own time, can you go to Romans 4 in your own time, like by yourself? 
and do some good work with that. This is who this one is to. Galatians is dealing with Gentiles who are being led astray by religious Jews who need to be slapped upside the head and get saved. And Romans, Paul is writing to a blended church, which means Jews and Gentiles, and he's trying to figure out how to get Jews and Gentiles to love each other well. So, so he starts his book out by saying, everyone sucks. Chapter 1, everyone sucks. And they know better. Look at society, he says. It's totally nuts. People rejected God, and then after that, it was just a downhill progression of insanity. And at that point, he knows the Jews are going to be like, you're darn right it is, and that's why they need Torah. They need the law. They need the Ten Commandments to be hung on the courthouse walls. we got to get them in there. It's my friend Jim. Romans 1, everybody sucks. Romans 2, huh? Jew and Gentiles together. So, yes. Yes. What I'm saying is it's culturally blended, but Paul's saying there are tensions in the relationships. It's disunity because humans don't do good with with. With diversity at all. We're bad at diversity. We're bad at including people. We're bad at like relating well with people who aren't the same color as us or make as much money as us or don't dress like us or listen to different music than us or from a different location than us or have a different accent than us. We don't like people who pray differently than us. We don't like churches that don't worship like us. We just don't like people who aren't like us. <laughs> because if you're foreign, you're weird, you're like, you know, our way is better your way is weird and worse and bad and probably immoral. And I'm, I'm basing that on just anthropological studies. Those three things. Our way is better. Our way is right. And your way is morally inferior. So in the church, the Gentiles? I don't know. All I'm saying is Paul writes Romans. Paul writes Romans. The way he does, he, he arranges his arguments to like to first establish that Gentiles need Jesus. Romans 1, people. People suck. And then he anticipates, oh, here come the Jews. They're going to be like, that's why we need the law. And that's why it's so amazing that God called the Jews to be the light of the world. And he goes, yeah, you Jews suck too. Romans 2, you guys, you teach the law? Yeah, you break it every time you try to teach it. All the stuff you talk about, you don't do it. In fact, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You suck too. I wouldn't preach like this in church, but I can do it here, right? (laughs) Gentiles suck. You need Jesus. Jews, you suck too. And then he gets to Romans 3 and he's like, but God has a better way, a different way. Gentiles had the law written on their hearts. They know right and wrong. They don't do it. Jews, you have the law on tablets of stone and on parchments. You don't do it. In fact, no one's going to be made righteous in the the sight of God by obeying the law. That was never the point, he says, Romans 3, leading up to the verses that we finished reading in 3.22. The whole point of the law was never to make you righteous. It was just to expose the issue. It was a flashlight. It wasn't actually poison to kill the roaches. It was just a flashlight to show. Holy crap, there's roaches. Let's run. Right? Right? 
I hate, I hate cockroaches. No. They do. No. Well, they say it in Spanish. They don't say it in English. La cucaracha? Yeah, I sing that every time. They oh, I just remember this is being recorded. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't post this one online. I'm, I'm using Tim language. I'm a wild donkey. So Galatians is to Gentiles. So he's writing to Gentiles that don't know their Bible. So he makes detailed biblical arguments in Galatians to undermine the passages about Abraham that the Jews that came in later would have used to say circumcision is extremely important. So in, but in Romans, he's talking to Jew and a, a, a community that's culturally blended and he's trying to figure out how can I get these people to really love each other well? And he knows the only way to really get people to love each other well is to stop believing lies. If you believe you're better than somebody else, you're not going to love them very well. And if you believe that Jesus somehow is more pleased with you than them, based on just cultural stuff. Okay, the guy who's like, I prayed twice. What is the, the, Luke 18, you guys know what I'm talking You know what I'm talking about. I fast twice a week and I give blah, 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 blah. Thank you, God, that I'm not like Steve over here. Meanwhile, the other dude's like, help, I'm a mess. And this guy goes home filled with grace. And this guy goes home filled with nothing but pride. Ew. You know the phrase there, but for the grace of God go I? It's probably wiser just to say there go I. Okay. Now that we're sufficiently spanked. So he argues, Romans 1, Gentiles need Jesus. Romans 2, Jews need Jesus. Romans 3, Jesus is amazing. Here's God's gospel. Romans 4, let me really explain what Abraham is about. Romans 5, let me talk about Jesus, how his, how his thing included the whole world in the potential of, of righteousness in the same way that Adam plunged everyone into sin. Romans 6, we're dead to sin. Baptism's amazing. Romans 7, we died to the law to marry Jesus instead. And by the way, if you're not interested, the Romans 7... 14 and following, I can't remember the details, is not a description of the normal Christian life. Paul's not saying that every single day he wakes up and says, I just want to sin and I just, and, 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 I, and I wish I didn't and I just keep sinning and I wish I could obey, but I don't. I just keep on sinning. I'm in misery, wretched man. That's not the normal Christian life. That's the reason Jesus came. That, that, that right there is precisely what it feels like to be under the law. That's a man who's under the law, who wants to please God, but doesn't have grace, doesn't have power to do it. So that's why Romans 8 then is such a deliverance from Romans 7. Oh, my word. Praise the Lord. I have such a Savior. Now I'm I'm not in the weakness of the flesh, and I didn't do it. It's not my fault. I'm I'm freed from the slavery to sin because I'm not in the weakness of the flesh, because I'm not under the law. I died to the law. I tried to convince the kids, the young adults, of that, the idea that they're not a sinner this week, and I could tell it was a new concept. And they're like, are you saying we don't sin? And I'm like, actually, we do. We're imperfect. But we need to redefine our terms. A sinner is not someone who sins. A sinner is someone who is not yet born again. And a saint is not someone who never sins. A saint is someone who belongs to the Lord. Sanctified. Holy ones. Because you have a new nature. It doesn't mean you're perfect yet. We're in a process. 
but this brain right here, this is why I think it matters that we identify with the right nature. Because if you hypnotize someone into believing that, you know, they're a turkey and they start to gobble. And if you indoctrinate someone in church into the idea that they're a porn addict. So Colossians, that's what I was trying to get to. Is I'm, just, I'm just trying to like get us to hear. So this is a unique bird. Instead of it just being Gentiles or even just blended, let's call it mystical. Jewish with Gnostic overlay. So this would be a strange combination. The issue in Colossians that Paul's trying to attack is, is definitely the Jesus plus something again. Big time. Big, big, big time. So Jesus plus, Jesus plus uh, special days. Jesus plus, plus special diets. Jesus plus angelic visitations. Jesus plus ascetic disciplines. Do you know what I mean by ascetic? Sleep on the ground, like fast, uh, mistreat your body, view the body as evil. So this kind of hits up with this. The Gnostics believe that flesh is bad, spirit is good. Jews believed flesh is awesome, so is spirit. If you separate them, you just killed me. <laughs> They're meant to be together. So David says, my flesh yearns for you. <laughs> when you're dealing with someone who can't wait to die so they can get free of sin, you're dealing with someone who should be praising death rather than Jesus because in their theology, death, not Jesus, frees you from the power of sin. They're not yet fully biblical on that point. Well, as long as we're in these pathetic pieces of living crap called bodies, we're just going to be wicked and sinful. I love the Lord, though. What? So in Colossians, this, like, I, like if I could summarize the message of Colossians, it's just a bigger Jesus. Oh, my word, you get such a huge Jesus. In Colossians, they're like, oh my goodness, there's demons. We better go fast and pray because we have demons. We got to fight. Because this Gnostic thing has, uh, let me erase over here. All right, so here we are on earth. Like this is this sort of ancient cosmology. This is not a biblical cosmology, but this is an ancient cosmology, right? So we'll put ancient cosmology. We live here. Hi. People are here on earth. And then up here, there's like birds and clouds and then up here, there's like, how do I draw God and Jesus? I'll just write the words. Oh, wait, I need another heaven. Worldview. Like the view of like existence. The, like, um, I have a scientific cosmology mixed with a biblical cosmology. That's what I think is real. So I don't think hell is in the center of the earth and I don't think heaven's on a planet out there. I think heaven's like a dimension. It's actually, it's right here. It's just... Hey, it's kind of like the Upside Down in Stranger Things. Ping! All right. So uh, this is an ancient cosmology. And in order to reach the third heaven, you would, like humans, well, we're down here, we suck. Oh my goodness, we're so sinful. I can't wait till we die and we get to the body. Oh my goodness, but or we get to heaven after we leave these stupid bodies. But then to get to heaven, you have to travel through the first, to this heaven, which is where God lives, the third heaven. You have to travel through the first heaven, which is not that bad. There's birds and stuff there in clouds. But you got to go through the second heaven and that's really where the problem's going to be because the archons, the archons 
and Exousia. They live there. The, the rulers and authorities, they live there. They rule. You know, Gabriel and Michael, God's angels, Daniel 7, they're fighting with the prince of Persia and these other demonic forces that rebelled against God, right? They live, they're up here. They rule over towns and cities and counties and countries and all that kind of stuff. And they have authority, which is why from the plain, you can see the border of the country. It looks different. Anyway, so how are you going to get through these guys to get all the way up here? Well, I don't know. You're going to have to get special codes and special words. You're going to have to fast and pray and have angel visitations and get the right words, the right passwords, the right keys, the right experiences. You've got to know the right people and you've got to have the right initiations and you've got to follow the right codes. And you've got to fast and pray and you've got to eat the right kosher foods because we've seen this stuff. Haven't you read? Haven't you read Genesis 6 with the angel marriages? Don't you know about our secret book of Enoch? Don't you know about our special gospel, gospel of this? Have you been baptized in the spirit according to this particular guy thing that speaks in this kind of tongues, which you need those kind of tongues if you're going to get through? The second heaven. Are you catching it? And so into this context, which this is the Gnostic part, Paul says things like, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all of the fullness. This is called the pleroma. And in order to achieve the Pleroma, you had to have the passwords and the codes and the achievements. And the, it's like a video game and you had to beat all the bosses to get to the big boss battle. I'm serious. You had to beat the little demons to get to the big demons and then you got to beat the big demons to get to the big boss at the end. But when you win, you, you achieve the Pleroma or fullness. This is a very technical word. In, in, like This is a very important word. In, in Gnostic thought, this word fullness functions a little bit how in modern evangelicalism the word salvation functions. Salvation is like what the evangelicals seem obsessed with. Getting saved, being saved, getting other people saved and just staying saved. It's all about being saved, baby. I think it's about living. Anyway, but um, Pleroma. I feel like silly tonight. So he said, okay, so hear this verse within the context of this. Colossians 2, 9. For in Christ... He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty human philosophy and fine-sounding arguments that come from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world. Powers of this world. Stoicheia. Later on, he'll refer to this again when it says, do not eat, do not taste, do not touch. It would be like Christians against sex. Christians against sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm like, just remove the drugs and we're all happy. Okay. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and the spiritual powers of this world rather than from, let's keep it real simple, Christ. Christ. That's his simple answer to a complicated question. That's his easy answer to an impossible wall that none of us seem to be able to climb. Christ. For in Christ... In Christ, that's a huge phrase for Paul. In Christ, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. What? What's you talking about, Willis? What's fullness doing down here on earth in a human body? Shouldn't God be like, ew, gross? In Christ 
lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you, verse 10, this is like if you were, if you were in Colossae and you were one of these folk, when you read Colossians 2, verse 10, and you believed it, your head go, little fireworks would go out of your ears. So you are complete. So you have been given fullness. Why does that New Living Translation soften it? So you have been given pleroma through your union, not through your union with Jesus. That's it. You're in Christ. The end. Got it. Done. Over. You win. No demon can touch you. No exousia needs to, can intimidate you. No one's going to steal it from you. No, oops, I didn't. Oh, my goodness, I broke my fast early. Is going to take, take it away from you. No, oh, my goodness, I smoked a cigarette and I shouldn't have. Is going to steal it from you. The reason to quit smoking is because you don't want to die of cancer, not because, like, you're going to go, not, all right. You hear what I'm saying? But you, <sighs> religion makes people even more miserable who are already stuck, you know? <laughs> so you have been given fullness through your union with Christ, who is the head over every rule and authority. You don't understand how big and strong and authoritative and intimidating Jesus is to the big bad demons that actually cause like real Christian missionaries into intimidation sometimes apparently. You know, David Hogan up in the mountains of Mexico discovering these demons that lay claim to mountains and talking about Christians dying of different things who try to take, you know, take the mountain back for God or whatever. Of course, David doesn't die, which causes the people of the region to go, you better listen to him. Remember when Jesus walks into town? Gerasene demoniac runs to him, falls at his feet. And then what do the people do? Well, once the pigs jump off of... People are terrified of Jesus. If them demons are scared of you, can you please go out of my town before I vaporize? Like, I'm terrified of you, Jesus. That's awesome stuff. Like, we need to teach the... It's like the boy version of the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where the boys are like, darn right, that's my Jesus. Be vaporizing people. <laughs> and, and then we back it up a little and go, hey, easy killer. He could vaporize people. Doesn't mean he would or should. Oh, so, and, and if you keep reading, if, now, just with this little bit that I've laid out, if you keep reading Colossians, you'll be like, oh my word, I see it. Now I, now I see what Tim's talking about. Like, I don't have to go through and read everything and, and draw the connections for you. Now you'll start to see these connections. But this deal for Paul, can you see how, like, there's different forms of legalism? So there's one form of legalism that the Galatian Christians are sucked into. It's the Bible kind. Then there's another form of legalism that the Roman, the people at Rome are sucked into, and it's like the racist kind. And then there's another form, which is biblical too. They divide along who eats with who and who has stars upon stars and all that stuff. And so the gospel, it's in Ephesians too. I mean, not Ephesians chapter two, in Ephesians as well. Where, where Paul says, there's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. There's one church. You know how much I discover this lack of faith, lack of understanding what Jesus has done in, the, like in charismatic evangelicalism? Here's how. We reverence Jews. We treat Jews, like ethnic Jews, as in a higher plane. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I think, that's, I think ethnic Judaism is fun. I think it's cool. 
but I don't think it's better than. It actually diminishes Jesus when we do that. It diminishes what God has done in the gospel when we do that stuff. And the, way, the reason I love it is because if you understand it, it makes you love Jesus more. They have the sacrifices. They have the, co- the covenants. They have, like, I learn things. We have the true, the Yes, yes. And some people say, well, then, Tim, why would I even read the Old Testament? And I'm like, when you see the shadows, it helps you appreciate the light even more clearly. So, for example, I was watching an anti-Messiah, an antichrist, uh, uh, rabbi. And you would say, why would you do that? And I would say, because Brad Jersak linked to him. And I made myself watch it with that icky feeling in my stomach. Because I was like, he doesn't love Jesus. It's so sad. He's like... This is why, do you not get it, dude? This is why you're Jewish. Jesus is your, the point. But he was talking about the sacrifices and he was like, do you realize that only, only the Passover and the sin offering had to do with sin? That all the rest of the Old Testament offerings didn't have anything to do with sin. And I was like, wait a minute, tell me more. I've been to college and seminary and for some reason this feels fresh and new to me. He talked about the fellowship offerings and the peace offerings and the first fruit offerings and like, festivals just to party down and say, woo, Jesus is good, you know? But my point is, the reason to appreciate Jewishness is not because they're closer to the Lord, but because the traditions and the commands and the rituals are so helpful at appreciating Jesus. So Paul says, hey, uh, Timothy, I'm going to take you along, and in order to minister to Jewish people, I'm going to have you be circumcised. But then, when a controversy breaks out over his Gentile Christians, and whether or not they're full covenant partners in Israel, he freaks out, and he's like, I am so glad that not even Titus was compelled to even consider being circumcised. Because if it's me being a missionary to reach you, I'm fine doing that. But if it's you insisting on it, now you've made it a gospel issue and I have to draw a hard line in the sand. Kind of reminds me of like alcohol. I I won't drink alcohol around somebody who I I don't think can handle it. Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't just mean somebody who's a legalistic turd who probably should be offended, meaning there's some people you might do them so well to be offended. But I'm talking about somebody who might be tempted to actually sin, right? I I wouldn't do anything to intentionally cause another brother to stumble. But when I had church authorities sit down at the table and tell me, now, Tim, what this Bible says about alcohol actually matches what you teach, but this community is really not in the mood to listen to it. So if you could, just go ahead and just don't talk about it. And I just nodded. I just nodded, and I said, death first. You're going to have to kill me before I teach something else other than what's in this book. What else do you want to talk about today? (laughs) And they looked at each other like, why does the Lord, why does the Lord hate us so bad that he would give us this kid? I'm out of time. I want to pray for you guys. I wanted to talk about Martin Luther. I wanted to talk about how the gospel penny comes and drops and our brain switches from needing to do it right to learning how to love. I have a friend that's always giving out good advice to people. And I've been praying for this friend for many years. 
that the gospel penny would drop because all they ever give is good advice. And I want so bad for them to give good news instead. The gospel is not good advice. It is good news. You give some good advice, they got to go figure out how to, how to do it. You give someone good news, they got some place to stand. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to talk about the book Grace Walk with Steve McVeigh and how God used that, that book to change my life. Just like break some, some, some sin strongholds out of my life. And I kind of wanted to know what you guys thought, and maybe they'll make these some of the reflection questions. Probably the reflection questions will be things like, what are our issues? What are our cultural markers that we're measuring people by? That we're at, what are our Jesus plus stuff? And then what are your own personal ones where you're disqualifying yourself in your own heart? Do you know what I mean? Will you allow yourself to receive grace if you've measured up to this set of standards that you hold? Just like the Lord one time told me, Tim, my church is like a bride getting ready for the groom by looking in the mirror and getting herself ready. The problem is she trusts her mirror and her own standard of beauty. So she thinks she's getting ready for me. She's not. She's imprisoned under her own sense of perception of herself. The only mirror that is allowed in this covenant, this is what the Lord said to me, is your reflection in my eyes. <laughs> when he said that, I was like, holy crap, something just happened. So I wanted to talk about all that stuff. And I wanted to talk about what are the, you know, ask the question, I think, again, these are maybe reflection questions. What are the things we're doing that diminish the worth of Jesus? Because anytime you go through a season where you magnify grace, Jesus is sweeter. When we magnify grace, we amplify love. We amplify God's love and our capacity to receive it. We amplify our love for others. Anytime we go into this thing and we understand grace better, it amplifies love. Your ability to receive God's, your ability to give it away. Right? All right, let's pray. I did not cover near what I wanted to cover tonight, but I did as fast as I could, as much as I could. We covered a lot more than I expected. Holy Spirit, more. God, we release grace tonight. We release grace tonight. We celebrate that we are not under law. We celebrate that what you require of us is mostly to let you be God, to let you be the, the source, to let you do all the heavy lifting. Holy Spirit, Jesus, you're the one who rescued us out of the, out of the burning house of our broken life. Jesus, you're the one who set our feet on a, solid place. Jesus, you're the one who clothed us in a robe of righteousness. It was you. It wasn't us. We open our hearts to you afresh. This grace gospel makes us want to open our hearts to you afresh. We want to. We want to say our yes to you.
A thousand yeses. Yes after yes after yes. We want more, God. God, we want more. We want more understanding. We want more, we want more reveling in the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of Father God, the beauty of Holy Spirit, the beauty of New Covenant, the beauty of this cross, this resurrection, this ascended life of Jesus. Teach us. God, teach us. Teach us. And we want to learn how to stay in grace. How to stay in grace. How to stay in the flow. How to stay in the flow of the Spirit. Stay in a place of peace. How to stay in a place of life. God, renew our understanding. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We want more. We want more of you, God. Jesus, we're not looking for um, experiences to validate us. We're not looking for encounters to validate us. We're looking for encounters for relationship. We want to know you. I want to know you. Let your spirit overwhelm me. Let your presence overtake my heart. I want to know you. Let your spirit overwhelm me. Let your presence overtake my heart.